0: Welcome to MFM Speaks Out. This is the official podcast of Musicians for Musicians. We are a nonprofit musicians rights advocacy organization that seeks to bring together musicians from all disciplines, styles, traditions, and locations in the cause of their mutual self-betterment. We encourage you to visit us at musiciansformusicians.org and to join our organization. If you'd like to become a supporter, you may do so by visiting our website. Again, that's musiciansformusicians.org. My name is Dawood Kringle, and I will be your host for this episode. Our guest for this episode of MFM Speaks Out is April Centrone. April Centrone is a multi-instrumentalist specializing in the rick, darbuka, frame drum, trap drum, and oud, a Carnegie Hall world explorer musician, teacher, composer, film producer and director, music therapist, founder of 10PRL, Arts Film Event Space, on the Jersey Shore, and a co-founder of the New York Arabic Orchestra. Before we begin, let's listen to some music. This is a recording of the New York Arabic Orchestra playing Raksat al-Atlas, composed by Abdelkader al-Rashidi. Welcome to MFM Speaks Out, and thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You wear so many hats that it's uh, difficult to know where to begin. And uh, so why don't we uh, start with your music? You you play several instruments, but uh, most of them are Middle Eastern and percussion instruments. Uh, Why percussion and why Arabic Middle Eastern music?
1: Sure, well... Part A, why percussion? I have been drawn to drums and percussion since I was quite young. I started to play uh, drums and Western percussion when I was about eight. Uh, when it became available in the school system, thankfully, it still was at the time
2: <laughs> uh-huh. to, to
1: be a, you know an offering as being part of a public school to be in the concert band. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I, drumming was a, a wonderful outlet for all of my energy and all of the, uh, I guess you could say what school would call ADHD, but really <laughs> rather normal amount of energy, creative energy and physical energy that I had and many, many children around me had. Uh, within the constructs of the very limiting uh, scenario of sitting in one place and not and not moving or not talking or not yeah doing who the very hell much, wants right. to do that huh no so I know so I I avoided the pitfalls of of what they were doing to many kids of of medicating and and I found percussion and you know and luckily again the, the school offered music that was wonderful I I came up. You know, getting into uh, the jazz bands and in, in high school, I loved jazz. I love mm. big band. I love swing. So fantastic! And yeah, I was searching really for something more, but I couldn't put my finger on what exactly that was. Um, ultimately, I went to school in New York City, uh, where I was originally from. Um, I was born in Harlem and. My family, you know, as they do, uh, moved down to Jersey. And I came back up and went to John Jay College, actually for forensic psychology. and But I, I was looking still for music or some rather really form of emotional expression. And I couldn't put my finger on what that was. And I started to go to different concerts. Um, there was definitely a huge Indian music presence at that time, um, and yeah. that was really my first experience of trance music, of really, uh, you know, experiencing ecstatic music, and um, it was an all night event. I remember, and I said, "Wow, there's something in this for me that I need to pursue." So I kept seeing many different, many different concerts of in general traditional music, world music was really where my heart was leading until one day I heard of um, an Arabic music concert. And this was something less common to see, especially, you know, 20 years ago <clears throat> versus Indian music. And I and I heard about Palestinian Oud and, and Violin Virtuoso and at Symphony Space, I said, well, I'm just, I have to go to that. And, and right there, my whole life totally shifted on its axis at that point,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I was completely overwhelmed and i i knew at that moment sitting there in the orchestra seating that i my life would be about arabic music which was both wonderful and terrifying because i really knew nothing about it um Mm. but i just dove in and (laughs) alongside my you know doing my masters in forensic psychology i was throwing myself at every arabic music training opportunity every concert every mentor I could run into, you know, and Mm -hmm. I started learning, um, uh, the, the Arabic violin the percussion, of course. And the Rick in particular was something that I said, wow, it's like a drum set in your hand. There's so many subtleties and nuances and it's just absolutely fabulous. So I was mostly drawn to that particular percussion instrument first.
0: Yeah. It's almost like, uh, well, some of my own personal experiences with listening to different types of uh, music, being exposed to them for, for the first time, it's almost like hearing a language that you mm. that you didn't know that you understood, or that you understood it more on a instinctive and spiritual level. Mm. You and Bassam Sabah had started the New York Arabic Orchestra in 2007, and it was, right. it was, yeah, it was a very successful project. You performed at uh, festivals all over the world. Uh, how did you and uh, Bassam start the New York Arabic Orchestra? How did that come about?
1: Sure. So I, I met Bassam at uh, the Arabic Music Retreat in 2005. That was my first, you know, right after I experienced Simone Shaheen in that infamous concert uh, in February of 2005. I looked up Simone immediately. Um, I'm sorry. Simone so, Shaheen. Simone yeah,
0: that yeah, uh, yeah, Simone yeah. Shaheen, but uh you said infamous concert.
1: Oh that that uh, the, the one that changed my life. <laughs> oh, one, oh
0: oh 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 my one, bad my yeah bad. that's
1: fine. Uh in, in 2005. I thought
0: I thought something happened at that concert.
1: Oh no. Only only me.
0: Oh, okay. Well yeah
1: happening. That's quite all right. Um but then I, I I looked Simone up, I saw he provided this. A week-long Arabic music retreat in Massachusetts every August I said my goodness I have to just go to this so mm. I went there and my and my life really unfolded there I I met you know I really was firstly immersed in in more in really the Arab culture and and the and I saw people you know I get a kid sort of from the city and I saw people from you know Lebanon, Syria, Egypt, all these different places, and and everyone was hugging and singing to each other and looking into each other's eyes. And, and it was so uncomfortable. I was, you know, still coming from this place of, you know, you've got to be very guarded and watch your back and not, you know, be too vulnerable with people. Yeah, and I, I was culturally that. smacked in the face. It was so terrifying, wonderful as well, and mixed with music uh, almost 24 hours of the day. I was I I could barely eat. I was so overwhelmed with um with the uh, you know emotion of everything and uh, and the food was great too. So mm. and so I met Bassam the first time I saw Bassam was he was leading the orchestra in this retreat and oh my god it was like my two favorite things coming together all at once. My I loved I love being a part of an orchestra ever since I was a kid. Um, I love all the sounds and the, the layers and then Arabic music too, you know, and, and he was such a gifted conductor. So it was so, such a beautiful thing to watch and experience. And, and then he started pulling out instrument after instrument. I, I mean, one after another, he could play virtuosically and beautifully mm. and emotionally. And with was such ease. So I was i I knew I wanted to study with him. and um, so, and I found out he also was living in New York area. So I began Adin and violin lessons with him. and I, and I started to put in his brain, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people obsessed with Arabic music like me in New York. Should we do something mm-hmm. about this? <laughs> you know, let's ah. put together something where
0: so you started it.
1: Oh, well, you know, we, you planted we st-
0: the seed in his head.
1: I'm a seed planter often, but uh, wow. you know, or I'm, or I'm a pusher. <laughs> I'm a pusher.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, let's do this. Let's do that. So I said, you know, we should, should really make something. We meet every week, and we build repertoire, and we train, and, and that was that. We started off with a fairly small group, maybe 15 people, in a violin shop loft in the Lower East Side, and
0: 50 people.
1: 15 it started oh I would 15 say. oh okay yeah Pardon and then me. it grew ultimately to 50 people over wow you know over uh, several years and mm. you know including also a choral and everything and then yeah then the then you know opportunities came up including like Lincoln Center Out of Doors mm. um, which was a wonderful experience to see you know without any agenda just the pure culture we were sharing like a nice solo takasim and and songs and you know and and just to see the that football field of a of a of a place just filled to the you know people standing no seating back uh, all the way to the avenue mm. um people just listening you know coming up to support that that uh, cultural art so i felt like you know, we really had accomplished something great. And especially coming out of also the, like when we started, there was still this, this smoke of nine 11 figuratively, yes. literally, you know, and, um, and there was still a lot of misconception and fear around the cultures in general, of the middle East. So it was, I felt like things really turned around over time and, and our concerts really helped. And, um, And along the way, you know, we met people like me, you know, I was affected by a concert. Other people were affected by concerts who their lives were going in one direction. And suddenly, no, I need to go in the direction of Arabic music. And they joined us and became, you know, all, you know, became old players and teachers. And and that changed the course of their lives, um, whether American, um, whether from Latin America, Japanese, or also from the Arab world, but. Arabs disconnected to their culture and heritage and being brought back in, which also gave me mm. a great amount of um, good feeling about what we were doing um, because it, from displacement of war and and just difficulty in leaving the country, sometimes there's, of course, this, this uh, impulse to say, I don't want anything to do with my culture and heritage. And then suddenly seeing something in another land that says no we love your culture and and just striking that flame and and uh, inviting someone of their own culture back in in a way and so that gave me a lot of uh yeah a lot of pleasure to see
0: it's kind of like uh the uh classic hero's journey where you're uh you're Mm, going on this great odyssey and then uh when you finally return home you realize that the thing you were searching for was already in your heart the whole time.
1: 100%.
0: Yes. Basam Sabah had uh, passed away in 2020, and uh, on behalf of MFM, I offer our condolences. What's the future of the orchestra, and how does the orchestra plan to carry on?
1: Sure. So, you know, obviously, that was an, a terribly tragic thing to happen, and we... Um, still don't quite understand it or or accept it. Um, but we're also, you know, tasked with moving on and and continuing the legacy that he left, that he that you know, the vision that he uh, had for the organization. you know, so we, so we continued and we uh, invited in. As artistic director, a wonderful in- individual named Laith Sadiq, who uh, hmm. basam himself, I believe, would have handpicked as well, because he would. Uh, is is a very rare soul. He's not only an absolutely fantastic musician, um, he's just he's so professionally so well spoken and and so kind and so also a very gentle person. Um, he has wonderful presence and is very giving and very supportive, very open-minded and, and really someone of, of this time, you know, he's, he's up, you know, the totally up and coming uh, musician, you know, signed to the big record labels, lots of massive <laughs> Instagram followings and, and really a Grammy nominated, you know, opportunity after opportunity, is, is coming his way um and it's just a it's a perfect marriage because there's um i would say now this this uh this youthful fire this energy is is coursing through the the orchestra um you know and 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 as we know that's so that's so important it's so important for also audiences to see you know for example the youth when I say youth, maybe you know, people in the 20s and 30s or so, but like the youth interested in in culture and presenting culture and and passing on these torches. Um and 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 that being said, we have a great mix of our, you know, our, our veteran members from you know almost 15, 20 years when we started. Uh we have all ages, um, all backgrounds. And mm-hmm. And uh, a new membership, whether they're newer players, violinists, cellists, so forth, from Juilliard or Berkeley, Manhattan School, or so. Um, so, and and we have uh, great opportunities coming up. Uh, one of which is the Global Fest 20th anniversary at Lincoln Center, and we are playing the the newly renovated David Geffen Hall on oh, January great. 15, Sunday, January 15 of uh, next year which is in a couple of months um i'll try to make it yeah please and and we um and we have other events lined up as well and the opportunities really really bubbling up so we're feel very grateful um it was an incredible amount of emotional and physical hard work to to transition from from the tragedy and the loss um and, and also it's also re- rebuilding and restructuring our organization as a nonprofit and, and the new artistic director and new directors, new executive directors, so forth. Uh, but we've reached that spot and we've also reached the sweet spot and we're, we feel very privileged to be, to be continuing to offer um, this culture and this music and, and with Laith, we, we lastly will be, Really exploring, uh, I would say, you know, fusion has a has a a, a lot of stigma attached to this word, especially in the music community. But um, you know, fusion in terms of, like, for example, he lives in Spain, a lot of uh, Latin influences, um, and and just open minded to other bits of culture. Like we have um, these fantastic Iranian musicians in our orchestra you know, bringing mm. about elements of Iran, um, and, and also, you know, being very attentive to representing, you know, all of the Arab world, not just, you know,
0: not just um, Arabia.
1: Yeah, exactly. One and, little
0: section. It's one thing that uh, a lot of people, uh, especially in the West are not aware that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there is no such thing as like, you know, broad. It's a big spectrum. It's a big spectrum. And it's interesting that you mentioned fusion. Because uh, when I was doing the research for this in, uh, interview, I was looking at a doobie dooby doo interview that you participated in when, uh, when the uh, New York Arabic Orchestra performed at Symphony Space. Mm-hmm. I believe it was in 2011. And MFM's president uh, Sarab Sadatla Javardi, who I believe you had pl- you had played with his uh, group so and he mm. had nothing but praise for you. Uh there was some discussion in that interview about blending cultures and crossing artistic boundaries. Uh how do you approach this? What are your philosophies about blending these different traditions and cultural influences?
1: Sure. Um, I actually Leith said it really well. The recent concert he had with this smaller ensemble at Roulette, he, he mentioned that traditional music was always once contemporary music. Um, and it's true. You know, when we say like in Egypt, uh, Abdu Wahab is, you know, we're playing traditional music of Abdu Wahab, but certainly Abdu Wahab was a contemporary. He was mixing a lot of Western and French influences music. So mm-hmm. for me personally, um. I, I I feel like when I was younger, I used to be very militant about, you know, it has to be really traditional. And then <laughs> oddly enough, uh, when I moved to Lebanon and I had the privilege of working with the uh, al-Habani, um, you know, w- we ended up, of course, playing a lot of newer music and his music, which he's doing a lot of funk and, you know, yeah. he's doing a lot of jazz and funk in his music and, and um, certainly mixing so many different, uh, traditions together French and 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 that in Lebanon was where I, I started to understand and appreciate uh, the beauty of of contemporary and, and fusion um, especially when it's it's accomplished with with care and with understanding you know, like they say, you have to know the rules before you break them right right, right. and and we're talking about people who, you know, certainly Ziad and, and and other musicians I I can think of who do fusion well, really really know the tradition very very well. And then when they when they bend the rules or completely break them, you still there's still this sense of of uh, foundation somehow, and um, integrity. I'd say so. I feel that integrity is important in in any contemporary or fusion music and the integrity comes out of knowing whatever tradition like in in a in a real way you know a trained way um you know but before before yeah breaking those rules essentially
0: yeah in my own studies of indian raga the various ragas have uh, very specific moods emotional content and effects mm-hmm. and the same can be said about the the rhythmic patterns and the vast traditions of African music, do makams and uh, Middle Eastern uh, rhythms possess these same qualities? Like, like for instance, uh, makam rast, for example, is that mm-hmm. supposed to be used to invoke a specific mood?
1: Oh, certainly, yes. Um, mm. it's, it's absolutely the same. We, you know, there are different, I could say uh, different makam for a different part of the, the day, in terms of the recitation of the Quran, um, mm-hmm. you know, different maqam would be, maqamat will be, uh, you know, essentially recited at different points morning, afternoon, evening. Um, certain maqamat are, you know, said to be for, for, uh, you know, happy occasion or, or for funeral or for, mm. um, and at the same time, you know that all of the makamat can be used in in, the, in different ways, depending on how they're presented, the, the energy that's given to them. So um, even if there are the makamat that like bayati or saba that are a little more considered, you know, uh, sad or or longing, mm. you know, inhabiting longing, if they're played with a joyful rhythm, um, it, it can take effect. on yeah and and sort of the beauty of which relates back to my discovery of really myself in Arabic music was, you know, the maqam is really it inhabits a wealth of emotion, sort of extra layers. It's sort of, for me, seeing more colors in life. Um, you know, as we know, music, music relates to our emotional capacity and um and now suddenly the recorder tones and all these other. Types mm. of of notes that I've never heard of before, and you know, so so when you hear, let's say, a joyful, rhythmic, highly rhythmic song with with a scale that you could say is bittersweet, I think it. I think it's mm. a really great kind of explanation for how intricate and how deep you know the, the tradition is, um, which really really struck me. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's the maqam maqam is so beautiful. The whole system um, and learning the art of soloing or takhsim is is so deep.
3: Hmm. And
1: um, you know it, the the tradition, um, the Islamic tradition, it it carries over to you know secular musicianship. I mean, for example, uh, many musicians listen to. Abdul Basit Ab samad he was a famous, famous uh, Egyptian Sheikh, and and uh, uh, rec-
0: reciter of Quran.
1: Yeah, you know, reciter. of I'm Quran. a Muslim,
0: so I've I've heard mm-hmm. him. I'm familiar. Oh yeah, him.
1: it's uh, and he. I mean, it's like a. It's not just perfection of what we call quote Arabic music. It's really there's a perfection of of, of notes in, in general in music itself, with the intonation and and there's such beauty and we call tarab or ecstasy. It's mm-hmm. just, just the perfect note. And I don't say that to mean, oh, you need to be perfect in order to be, but it's, it's more, you know, when we talk about, I think notes and, in the, and even the scientific sense, you know, there's frequencies and the frequencies do things to us. Right. So mm-hmm. when you have such a perfect balance of, of the, the distances between notes and the notes themselves are just exactly where they should be
0: Yeah, the intervals.
1: Oh goodness. Yeah. the, the, it's the effect is so profound and it doesn't even need to be so dressed up or ornamented it just you know so so yeah. it's it's quite a quite an experience to listen and learn from from him so a lot of nai players uh violinists i remember bassam said he learned a lot from listening to him as a nai player for example yeah yeah
0: the first time that i uh that I attended a Ravi Shankar concert was at Carnegie hall and he was doing the Alap, uh, the introduction to a Raga. And at one point he played what to me was the most perfectly executed musical note I ever heard in my life. And I (laughs) said to myself, if I succeed in playing one note as beautifully and perfectly as he did, mine will not have been a wasted life.
1: Exactly. And
0: yeah. And you, and you also mentioned, uh, Muslims in the Middle East uh, using certain maqams for the recitation of Quran. I had noticed that uh, a lot of people bring in elements of their own culture when they uh, recite that like um, obviously you know people from the Middle East you'll hear maqam when they recite Quran or rec- make the, the Adhan the call to prayer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I heard a, a sheikh from Ethiopia oh yeah uh reciting reciting quran and i i heard ethiopian mo- modes um mm-hmm. you go up to harlem to the mosques there and you hear uh you hear uh blues and uh and and r&b mm. and jazz melodies and whenever i recite uh the the adan when i call make mm-hmm. the call to prayer uh i end up using melodies that i've taken from italian <laughs> operas so wow. you know everybody is going to you know Going to bring in something sure. different, you know, but it all it all seems to have this focal point where it all comes together, and from there, I think that's where it uh, finds the uh, its spiritual qualities. Ultimately, let's 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 talk about about some of your music. In 2018, you released your uh, solo album, New Moon. And the title track uses a guitar ostinato, which uh, I believe that you uh, set on a loop, you used poetry and, uh, and it evolves into a very, very lovely exploration of uh, guitar and percussion. And there was another piece called The Leaving that has a, that's a very melancholy piece that uh, (laughs) focuses more on your, on your oud playing, um, uh, you you played all the instruments on that album. Um, casual listen might categorize the music of your album and more into the uh, new music or uh, ECM family of musicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you work your Arabic musical knowledge into that album?
1: Sure, I mean, it, first, firstly, it was not a commercial album in any anyway. It was very, a very very personal, almost a need to be made, um, Mm -hmm. for my own healing. Um, because I always that way, (laughs) I I know, I know, Uh, I guess, I guess it is, it was, it was sort of dire to the point, you know, because I, I lost, um, my grandmother was huge, huge person in my life. I mean, we were, um, you know, we're kind of soulmates in a way, you know, friends and each other's muse. And it was, Uh, feminist playwright and and just such a powerful presence and uh, always pushed me to be strong and and uh, loved you know when I got involved Arabic music loved everything was really involved in my life very deeply and inspired me a lot she did a lot of work with civil rights and Martin Luther King and she was such an incredible person wrote plays at the public theater with Joseph Pap and producing them, and she was, and also just coming from you know a background of a lot of abuse at home and things, and and so I say that because when when I felt utterly like my life depended on making an album, um, I sat down and you know the melodies started as you know she was leaving the earth, right. Mm -hmm. and after and yeah started putting things together and and then uh, and then I started to force myself to think about lyrics which is not I'm more of an instrumentalist and improviser so it wasn't necessarily coming to me and then ultimately in a matter of three five minutes 10 minutes I was writing all this poetry and I started not questioning it and let it happen and you know, I thought maybe she's speaking through me and she was the writer Mm -hmm. and I was very inspired by her. So I had these long (laughs) poems that I wrote many of them and, you know, several in a day and just, uh, put, you know, yeah, like a, maybe a looping, um, kind of melancholic guitar or ode or, or whatever to a lot of them to, to evoke kind of the feeling of them. And, the arc, you know, this is very 90s, which, you know, people don't really have, I don't even know if they have CDs, they have singles now, I guess, but it had an arc <laughs> of a lot of tension initially, really talking about some of the more difficult things um, that my grandmother and I know a lot of women experienced, you know, different traumas and abuses, and exploring some of that, exploring some of the issues I feel plagued the world, and then going into you know, my experience of sort of the Syrian war, I was living in Lebanon with that background and a lot of that, um, like interesting dichotomy of obviously the hardship and also beauty that I didn't expect and I would have never met some of those people that if they hadn't left, hadn't had to leave Syria and and their experiences and their stories um, coming through. And finally, the album kind of resolving with the little sense of hope, <laughs> I would say, mm. and uh, and celebration of life, mixing all of it, the celebration of, of death, of the mystery, of the beauty, the strange beauty and in it all. So that was what that was about. <laughs> mm. And I recorded in Lebanon. I felt like I needed to be there to do it. I don't know why. Oh. I did it in a couple of weeks. And my friend, uh, Zahar, Hamidi helped me with some of the guitar while I was reciting the poetry, and, hmm. and that was it. Um, yeah, it was very, very powerful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we take a break and uh, listen to uh, to one of the tracks? Oh, okay. There was one track on there called Fire and Blood that I personally really <laughs> liked, Uh why don't we listen to that one? Sure. Anything you want to, anything you want to talk about the uh, mention about fire and blood before we play it?
1: Well, um, yeah, again, I'm playing a lot of the instruments, drums, drum set, different things. Um, And I think that was pointing a little bit to, yeah, just some of the feelings that came through from the war and from my experience there during that time. It's an Mm. instrumental piece.
0: All right, and here it is Fire and Blood by April Centron from the album New Moon. And we're back. You have an impressive teaching resume. Uh, You you teach world music at William Patterson University and do in-person and online classes and lecture at various universities. Can you tell us a little bit about this?
1: Sure. Um, I was leading um, up until somewhat recently an Arabic music section of a world music class at William Patterson. uh, over the pandemic, it had ended uh, because it became a little impractical for for me to, to travel there and so forth, but wonderful class. Um, I've taught many sort of Arabic music slash percussion lectures um, in sort of residency format or one day or two day or one week workshop format um, uh, throughout the country and different places around the world. Um, for example, like University of, uh, uh, I think it's Taipei University of the Arts, um, oh. another university in, in Taiwan also called Tainan Arts University. And um, yeah, and I, I also, and this is really where a big part of my passion lies. I, I would lead groups that you could say are, are music therapeutic and I was invited, um, 2018 or nine, I guess 2018, to Malaysia um, with the U.S. Embassy to perform a world music tour. So I had the opportunity, the privilege to work with Rohingya youth and um, mm. and young young women in safe houses, and I really, you know, a lot of it sharing the beauty of of makam and kind of um, singing and. Forming percussion together and and finding that beautiful healing in the music um, that exists and that existed for me um, I've done a lot of work also in the inner, inner city um, one project was with yo Silk Road Connect it was a sixth grade mm. project um, and yeah we went to you know w- which really resonates with me um, we went to schools that you know, there were like posters that said, don't bring your gun and airport security and all this <laughs> stuff. And, you know, and wow. I felt this sort of stress of the teachers and and the kids there, you know, everyone is like kind of, and I, re- I remember myself, you know, back in school, feeling like every all the authority figures were looking at me like this bad, you know, this bad kid, you know, and and not so much. I know the feeling. Yeah. I, you know, no explanation necessary. Right? And and I just, you know, for me, I, I always, I want to be the teacher that I wish, you know, I had when I was coming up and, and who's just sharing something and I, I'm at your level and I'm just sharing something I love with you. And what, what has been really beautiful over the years, whether with Silk Road, the, the Yo-Yo Ma's project, or it was, um, I worked with uh, musicians for harmony for many years putting together um not just Arabic music, but African, Latin, and you know, many different teaching mm. artists. And so, and seeing the kids just open up to, to the teachers, surprise. You know, many of them, are these the same kids? And I always say, yes, they are, <laughs> you know, because mm. they just want, they just want to be actually cared for for once. Just show me, share something with me. Don't, don't look at me with fear. Don't treat me with yeah with fear or disdain or or like you're trying to just get by the day with me. You know, I, I feel yeah. that, you know. So it's like we got to she has beautiful music. Sometimes, you know, let's say after like a na takasim or takasim, I would say to the kids, you know, what did you feel or what did you picture? And you know, kids would raise their hand, whether 12, 16, 18 years old, you know, I picture a scene of homelessness or or I feel peaceful, or I feel, or I feel sad, or I feel at rest or relaxed, or, mm. or I see an image of, you know, my neighborhood, you know, and again, always that their teachers were always so surprised to see these kids who are supposedly such bad apples, right, you know, expressing yeah. themselves so deeply, and so, so moved by what they experienced in music. Um, so I did a, many years of that kind of work, and it's it's beautiful work. Um, I also, while I was in Lebanon for three years, uh, between two thousand thirteen and two thousand sixteen, had sort of that double life. I was working with ziad Beni and these big big concerts. Um, he's a son of Feinru, who's you know major mm-hmm. star there. And uh, and but during the day, often I would work with NGOs in the in the refugee camps, um, Palestinian refugee camps the newer syrian refugee camps and um yeah and had the privilege to to do a similar thing you know singing and and playing music and learning old um washahat with them which is the old like arab andalusian uh, music from you know over a thousand years ago Mm. and just the joy of the kids and in these scenarios you know because uh, i've had had experience with so many different kids where they're very privileged or or very you know this is the only class i have all, all week right and for them it was like it was like food and water they just didn't want it to end and and unfortunately we always had to end and come back next week and the kids would run off into back into the their homes and in the camp and you know it's not a very safe situation for them and
2: mm.
1: and uh So it was very, very, it it was the best work I've ever done and hope to do more of it. And yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, and obviously when they went back there, they took something useful with them. It seems that your teaching obviously uh, ties in with your work as a music therapist. What are your methods and philosophies approaching specifically music therapy? And do you Mm -hmm. employ Arabic music? In your work, or uh, do you take whatever you, yeah. you think would work?
1: You know, I I do I do most often employ Arabic music, um, and you know I feel I feel that I, I have a I have a duty to say that you know we call it Arabic music. I mean Arabic music, you know, is a is first of all it's 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 played in in so many different countries as, as part of the. The cultural heritage also i mean so much of also south asia and you know malaysia indonesia and obviously the arab world major parts of africa and 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 certainly the you know the when we talk about turkey and iran and and i mean this is you know we share this this music and overall this 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 sort of this culture and idea and I mean, and and of course, Europe, America. I mean, this, this music it belongs to to so many. So when I say Arabic music, I want I want to make clear that I feel it's very much an ancient music for, for that 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 speaks to us all and and, and originates from all of our cultures somehow. So, mm. um, so yeah, I, I do I do um, love to to employ you know, Arabic music in, in, in music therapy, because it, it truly is as, uh, as, as many world old traditional music is, it taps into spirituality. And, and, you know, before our most recent history, music and spirituality weren't necessarily seen as two different things, you know, by all the greatest thinkers and, and minds of our, you know, of, the many years have passed. I think there's a, a wonderful book called Music of the Spheres uh, by a New York writer. He he really goes into, into this from Pythagoras and Galileo and on. Oh just, yes.
0: Yes. I think yeah. I have that in my collection.
1: Oh, it's a fantastic book. And he really yes. he really fleshes out just how much. You know the arts, music, you know spirituality. These things were one until until sort of this technological age, and everything was kind of monetized, and it became a whole other thing. But yeah, but it, 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 you know, and it's so trying to
0: move. It's trying to work its way back into it. That.
1: Is it, it really is? It, it's, it, it inevitable. is it's inevitable. Inevitable because it belongs there, and, and musicians mm-hmm. are rediscovering that. Wow, when I when I feel most connected to my music or when I lose mo- myself the most or when I feel most like a vessel or, you know, I'm playing the best or what. And, and it's like, they're realizing, yes, this is, you know, we can't ex- explain what it is, but it's it, 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 that we put that word spirituality on it. It's spiritual We're we're emptying out and something is filling us and we're, um, you know, we're becoming or, or we're stepping out of the way of it, whatever it is. So, mm-hmm. so certainly um, it's, that's why, you know, that's why it's very important to my music therapy work. And I'm sure it's very different from, you know, someone else's music music therapy work or someone who studied specifically the, the, the study of music therapy in, in university may take on mm. other, other elements. But for me, I, I created my own um, study from my, you know, masters in psychology etc and my and my uh, many years with this music and put it together yeah
0: some sometimes you have to create your own thing mm-hmm. i uh, had developed something that i call music meditation sessions I, mm-hmm. uh, which is in a nutshell a guided meditation that replaces suggested imagery with improvised psychoactive music yeah. but uh, anyway you were you spent I think it was three years in Lebanon and other parts of the Middle East. Are Le- uh, Lebanese or you know Middle Eastern female musicians treated fairly as opposed to how they are treated in places such as Iran or uh, Saudi Arabia that are they're not allowed to perform in public in front of a mixed or male audience? Uh, what 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 did you see there?
1: Well, I lived in. I mean, living in Lebanon is is definitely different from living in. Saudi Arabia so I'm not of course you know I I know I know it's a different scenario um, from country to country Um, at least as far as my experience in Lebanon um, women were certainly welcome to play there just weren't that many Mm. playing you know professionally at all Um, and I still I still see that for some reason in Arabic music I'm not really seeing I I've definitely I mean Rick players. I don't see female Rick players. Um there's some them some Dharabuka, you know. I, I I don't know if it's so much, you know, they're not allowed to as just I don't know, it's still it very male happen. dominated. I don't know. Um and I'm trying to change that, of course. I'm I'm teaching and I definitely I mean most of my students are women and um and I would say, you know, it gives me great pleasure to to teach you know a drum that has so much command like like the rick and mm. and i remember coming up and my mentor michelle who unfortunately was also taken by covid in 2020 um he you know i always check with him every year at the arabic music retreat and say how am i doing you know and and he always say you know he was very vague always in and um how he would teach, I would learn. You know, mostly from watching him and putting things together in my mind. But I would ask, and he would tell me something vague, and I would try to translate it. And so the vague thing he said, um, you know, maybe five years in or so of me playing was, uh, is great, but you need to play louder, play louder. You have to play louder. So I'm like, <laughs> okay. And it took me it took me some time until one day. I realized I had to bother myself I had to feel too loud to me and mm. and translating that you know inevitably to you know psychology and feminism and all the things that fill me from my life I I feel that you know as a whole women are girls young girls women we're kind of trained to be quieter and to be a little less, uh, you know, bothering. And you know, there's it's really hard to beat it out of out of myself even to this day. Um, mm. No pun intended. So, so I took that and then I took it to my students. I said, "You, you want to bother? You want to be too loud? You want to feel like, oh, this is this is too much?" And inevitably, that their sound would there would be there. Um, so it so it's interesting. I think it's a complicated question that you ask, but I think it has many layers. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it, you know that presence is is so it can be very scary. Uh, just in our in our the way we're still raised, it's just just it's just very these little subtleties in our culture. You know, it's hard to escape it, but but we can address it later. <laughs> Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's it.
0: Uh, your resume lists you as a film producer and director. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, what is that all about? Right, I am um, more I recently in my life doing doing that. Um, I mean, I think I I always loved theater, and I always loved. I mean, who doesn't really love film? You know, it's the marriage yeah. of everything of the music of the visual of the. Oh gosh, and you know, I mean. All of the arts really coming together in theater and film, and and I started loving theater because of my grandmother. So, um, yeah, I, I met I met my wife in two thousand eighteen, and who was involved in in filmmaking already. And when uh, when twenty twenty came around and we started our film studio business, uh, yeah, we just started and. Um, I really fell in love with directing, which happens to be what my grandmother did. She wrote and directed and, and now I find myself writing and directing, um, rather not, not for theater, but for film. Um, so it's a, it's, it's my new passion and, and I, I love it and yeah, it's started, um, recently, I guess in comparison, to everything else, but, but all of my, um, all all of my experience in the entertainment world and music and everything is really lending itself and psychology, my goodness, for directing. Mm. Um, So it's, it's, it's just a wonderful marriage. And well, it's a wonderful marriage with her and marriage of, 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 as an art form and what we're creating together as a production company, she and I, Mm. and uh, yeah, I feel like in this stage of my life, you know, you know turning the sort of 40 corner it's like a great mm-hmm. a great new uh, direction for me and something i'm very excited about hmm.
0: the insanity that's currently happening in iran is uh, yeah. in a, in addition to affecting the iranian people as a whole and personally i don't classify political parties or, as people but that's just me. Yeah. It's affecting the music community in Iran, obviously. How has this affected the various projects that you're involved with?
1: Well, you know, musicians are extremely. We're all very upset and, and very connected to what's going on, and um, it's it's making it it's making it difficult for sure emotionally um and and as you know i mean there's interesting in talking about females and percussion because in iran there's so many females dominating percussion like if you if you really? you know look at instagram for a moment you'll see my goodness so many incredibly mm. proficient women in iranian specifically in iranian drumming um i just yeah i, I pray for them i you know it's we're all we're all deeply affected, certainly yeah, here in New York. Yeah.
0: Getting back to the New York Arabic Orchestra for a moment how how does the economic slash business perspective uh, aspect of the orchestra operate? Is it different from the way a Western classical music orchestra would operate?
1: Well, I I would say. In the beginning, it was quite different because it required a lot of a lot of training. Um, mm. you know, Yoyama always said to Basam, he said, you know, oh, the aud is like the king of the instruments, and he had a massive respect for the, for the music. And, you know, the idea was even a yoyama would need to sit down and kind of like learn some of the, you know, right? The the makama, mm-hmm. the the phrasing, the ornamentation. So, so in the beginning, yes, we met every every week, which is not necessarily what a you know New York Philharmonic does, right? But more recently, and this is this is I mean a wonderful development, and and speaks to you know the contribution that we've made and other you know our musicians and teachers have made around the country. You know we don't need that kind of weekly preparation anymore. We can sort of operate. Like a like a, a classical orchestra would, where here we have a program on such and such date. We're going to have you know a couple of weeks prior or a week prior of rehearsal, um, which is which is really quite quite a development to be able to say here's sheet music and you are going to understand how to translate. The, you know you're going to know how to ornament this in the appropriate way. You're going to know how to treat the quarter tones and so forth. Mm-hmm. So. So, yeah, I would say more so now, yes.
0: <laughs> uh, one final question. Your uh, teaching and charitable endeavors appear in a lot of ways in harmony with what Musicians for Musicians is trying to accomplish. Do you envision anything like an alliance or collaboration between our organizations?
1: Sure. I mean, I, we're always, you know, we, our, our bedrock is education. Um we always look to be able to educate more more children, more adults and um and and more more opportunities to yeah to uh express ourselves, to perform. Um, we we're, we're very intent always on creating beautiful alliances with like-minded organizations.
0: Well. I look forward to that happening. Anyway, I think that ought to do it. Thank you so much for joining us, for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, this was a fascinating interview. Uh, oh,
1: thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Our guest for this episode of MFM Speaks Out was April Centrone, multi-instrumentalist, teacher, composer, film producer and director, and music therapist. The topics we discussed included Her interest in Arabic music, her work with Bassam Sabah in founding the New York Arabic Orchestra, her theories about blending cultures and crossing artistic boundaries, the artistic, philosophical, and spiritual essence of maqam and Middle Eastern music, the accomplishments of the New York Arabic Orchestra, her solo album New Moon, her teaching resume, her work as a music therapist, her work as a film producer and director her charitable works, and how her work applies to the music community at large. Our guest for this episode of MFM Speaks Out was April Centrone, multi-instrumentalist, teacher, composer, film producer and director, and music therapist. The topics we discussed included her interest in Arabic music, her work with Bassam. If you'd like to hear more interviews like this one, hit the subscribe button. Our thanks for your support. We believe that an important step toward the success of the music community is in building a different media. And you can become involved in this by using the hashtags on social media, unity in the music community, and making music as a profession. And we invite you to join us on this journey. Go to musiciansformusicians.org. My name is Dawood Kringle and you have been listening to MFM Speaks Out. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to leave you with some music. This is April Centrone with the title track of her album, New Moon.
3: Over soon, until another begins... A new moon, nobody wins. Meet again soon, got work to do. New moon, gotta leave you. Move through the preview of the next life. A knife's blade slices this sea view into two sides. I see you, but you are in too deep. Keep this with you. My love, my precious, my darling. I'm not too far above, I'm there anytime, anywhere, right here with you. The sea calls, rises and falls, I can't be still, never will. Call on me, but not to fight. Follow me now, if you will, toward the light. Here we begin, clear the way, suspend disbelief, the end is near. Without fear, she says, goodbye for now, my dear. Take you with me, my one and only. Never again shall you be lonely. Be back soon, next new moon.